Well, let's uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for drawing us together. It is a privilege, Father, that we will enjoy for all eternity to be among the called out. So I pray, Father, that between now and the day that either you return or we die and stand before you, that we would understand the the nature of the world that we live in, that it stands to oppose you. But you are the indwelling God. And because of what you have done for us, Lord, that we could face this world with truth and with love and see you glorified in it, Lord. So we come before you today knowing that we need discipled, knowing that we need, Lord, to hear from you. And so um, give us wisdom today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, <clears throat> let's review. <clears throat> Last week we started a series on the nature of the church. And uh, we established that God has chosen, God has rescued, and God demands. God has chosen a people. And those people, in choosing them, he has rescued them. We saw last week how the Israelites were drawn out of slavery. And on the basis of his character, and on the basis of his deeds, what he has done and who he is, God demands holiness from his people. And that call... To holiness that we read last week is summed up in a person's attachment and detachment. Holiness is an attachment to the commands of that one true redeeming rescuing God and a detachment from the lifestyle of the world around us. So we noted last week that the descendants of Abraham God made into a very special nation. Governed them by his special law as a testimony of his extremely special grace. However, in spite of these expectations that God had laid upon them and the love for them that he lavished on them, they had been rebellious as we heard God himself say of them in Deuteronomy 9. Sadly, what should have been a testimony Of this one true God. It turned into. For the Jews just a whole lot of religious formality. 
And as their history unfolds from the book of Deuteronomy on, we find that the commands and the laws that set them apart as God's people were either ignored or modified throughout their history. I'll give you some examples. In the book of Judges, um, in chapter 2, and let's just turn there for the sake of everybody laying eyes on this. This is a very, very profound verse. Judges chapter 2. Verse 10. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. That'd be Joshua and Caleb and the, the people that conquered the land. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Um, It might be noted here that we are only ever one generation away from there being a generation of people that have no idea who God is. And frankly, in our our culture, we, we consider and call the World War II era, that generation of people, the greatest generation. Have you guys heard that before? This was their greatest generation. Joshua and, 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 and that generation, and they, 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 they were, I mean, read through the book of Joshua, and man, they, they, they strove to do what was right. Um, and even in that, the very next generation had no idea who God was. It's imperative that... Parents understand this. The Shema of Deuteronomy 6 is that parents are supposed to be the ones when we rise up and lie down and when we're walking along the way and, 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 and sitting down to eat, that we're the ones bringing the truth of the gospel uh, to our children. Um, we bank so heavily on the church when it's actually our job. Several times in the book of Judges, it is said that there, in these days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They ignored the word or they modified it. Um, Eli's sons in the book of Samuel uh, used the Ark of the Covenant like a lucky rabbit's foot. They take it to war thinking, ha-ha, God is with us, and they lose it. And in fact, we're going to come back to this, but at, in those days, the, the tabernacle and the presence of God was in Shiloh, okay? And after this, presence of God and the taber, tabernacle, no longer in Shiloh. We'll come back to it, all right? Also in Samuel, uh, the people desire an earthly king. Give us, give us a king. We want to be like all the other nations around us completely ignoring the fact that God had been their king. In fact, in the, uh, in the, in the uh, book of 2 Kings, if it were not for Josiah sending out somebody to clean the temple, they would have proceeded down more decades. I, I, can't, I, I, I didn't have time to go through the timeline to see how long it had been since they had had access to the book of the law. But can you imagine decades and decades just flipping off the calendar 
And everybody just doing their religious thing over and over and over and over and nobody consults the book. Riddled from the beginning of their history all the way to the end, uh, from beginning of, to the end of the Old Testament, their, their, their society was riddled with idolatry. When we were in the book of Genesis, do you remember Rachel hiding the idols from her dad in the camel's saddle? Okay, good. And I, I looked last night, and the second to last book in the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah, he was a post-exilic prophet, which means that he was, he was a prophet who God sent after they had been disciplined in exile for 70 years. In the 13th chapter of Zechariah, he's telling, God is saying, I'm going to clean up their idols. It's like 4,000 years of idolatry. So we have a whole lot of religious duty, but all of that duty is completely devoid of genuine love for God. They were a constantly compromised people they always had one foot in the temple and the other foot at the shrines of false gods always they had an unsatisfied appetite to conform to the world even in spite of the discipline of their loving redeemer so in the course of time god raised up men to go to the nation and warn it of impending disaster and the need to repent God viewed their claims of love as empty and deceiving. And so their stiff-necked rebellion had to be dealt with. However, in the midst of all of this, these prophets that God sent testified, testified to something much deeper and more profound than just the outward changes. That were required. And from this, yet again, we'll see hopefully the nature of the church. So go with me to Hosea chapter 1. Of course, we won't spend, we're only going to be in about three prophets this morning Hosea. Jeremiah and Ezekiel, um, and I hope that by hitting those three guys that we'll cover the, the breadth of what, the, what all of the, uh, the prophets were aiming at. Hosea chapter 1. Beginning in verse 2. <clears throat> and as we read, just consider what's the nature of the church. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel." 
On that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Did you catch that he just said that he's going to put an end to the kingdom of Israel? Hang on to that. Verse 6. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy or Lo Ruhama. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. Basically, all, all warfare technology in those days, he just ruled all of it out. He's going to save them in a different way. Hint, hint. Verse 8, when she weaned no mercy, she conceived a, and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name not my people, lo ami. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. Did you catch that? So I'm going to wipe out all of Israel, and they're going to be as big as uh, the sands of the sea. Hmm. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Let me, let me address a couple of things here. First, God views our sin, sin at all, as unfaithfulness to him. It's not just, oh, well, I, I, yeah, it was just a little sin. It didn't really matter that much. No, it was a really big unfaithfulness to God, no matter the size. It's crazy, but God actually tells Hosea, go marry a prostitute. Because that's how God viewed the sin of his people. Another thought here. God's definition of those called out went far beyond the physical descendants of Abraham. So now the nation of Israel is going to be, he's going to go to a place where those people, those are not the people of God. And God is going to say, yep, those are my people. That's that's us. He's talking about us. We actually, John, you work through this. I reference back to this if if you have time. Go back to our sermons in Romans nine through eleven, um, where we're talking about how true the true Israel, the Israel of God, is not is not the physical line, but the spiritual line. Okay, and in this. There will be an appointment of one head. All of God's children will be under that one head. Anybody have any idea who that's who that is? Good. Everybody got that? It's Christ. Christ in the Old Testament. All right. So Jeremiah seven. This is one of my favorite passages. Probably shouldn't admit it, <laughs> but I, it is. Jeremiah 7.
beginning in verse 1. Jeremiah 7, 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house, that is the the temple, and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. And then he says in verse 8, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. So, so here's what's happening. They're going into, the, they're, they're basically, they have this very, uh, it's, it's a false assurance. They, they, because they have the temple, they just assume God's on their side. And this is what's, it's frightening, it's, it's really telling of human nature. Verse 9, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Isn't that frightening? So those deceiving words are because we have a building erected, God must be in this place. And so uh, does that happen today? Human nature is no different. It's no different. Look at the list. This is so modern. Steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before God and say, God, you owe me forgiveness. I said I'm sorry. Their problem was their lifestyle the rest of the week didn't match this great God who had called them out. Verse 11, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you Persistently you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore I will do to the house that is called by my name, and in which you trust, 
and to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh, and I will cast you out of my sight as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. Look at what he's saying. Look, we have, and this is good for us as we're approaching our 200th year birthday to sit back and, and say, you know what? This has nothing to do with the building. has everything to do with the faithfulness of God and our being faithful to Him as a result. Did they believe God? No. 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar rolls into town and rolls over the temple. And one of the seven wonders of the ancient world never, ever existed the way it did before. Solomon's temple was destroyed. The place where the Shekinah glory of God dwelled at the day of its dedication. Years later, it's gone. Because the reality is it has nothing to do with the building it has everything to do with the people that dwell in that building and, and their relationship to their one true God. So God doesn't agree with religious compromise. He doesn't like it. And part of that deception that comes with religious compromise is not only affixing God's presence with a building, but assuming he must be there because the building is. Guys, this isn't a holy place. It's not. The building of God, as we'll get to in First Peter, is the people of God. So if I go home and I'm looking at pornography on my cell phone, <laughs> wrong. If I'm going home and 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 I'm when I'm alone and I have no integrity, forget the building. This, that does, does not matter. You walk into this place and assume God is here, but you're maintaining a lifestyle of sin. It does not work. It cannot work. Well, the call in Jeremiah 7 is to amend your ways. That's what God tells them to do. Well, how do you do this? Back up to chapter 4 of Jeremiah. Look at what he has to say. Just a few pages. Jeremiah 4, verse 4. Jeremiah 4, 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. So he's, he's basically saying, and I'm going to give you a rated G version of this, but, uh, but the foreskin or, is kind of like a callus. It's, it's something, and I had an Old Testament professor explain that, that it's the removal of a barrier of intimacy. Okay? When you have a callus on your hand, you don't feel anything. Okay, when the, when, when the callus goes away, you have feeling again. And sin creates a callus. And that, what basically God is saying, is remove the callus. Feel God again. 
Okay? Um, so we're not talking, again, just outward stuff. We're talking inward. Look, drop down to verse 14 of chapter 4. He says, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? So now we're not, again, talking about something on the outside. We're not just talking about this reformation of, well, I've got to do this now. God wants our hearts, and if the heart is not changed, as Christ said, the sow will return to the mire. Now, the only pigs I ever saw growing up, because like I admitted last week, we had cattle and castration knives. And so we didn't do pigs. I'm so glad we didn't do pigs. Um, But the pigs I saw were all at 4-H, and, you know, 4-H pigs look good, don't they? There are, somebody has taken the time to wash them. I admittedly haven't been around pigs other than those. And then I went to Mike Bravo's house. Ever seen a pig at Mike Bravo's house? There is nothing clean about that pig. Nothing. They are dirty, disgusting creatures. And no matter how much you wash a pig and dress it up, I don't care what Charlotte's Web says. I don't care. You put it in front of the mud, that is where it's going to go. And no matter how much we attempt to make outward reforms of our lives, by nature we are sinners and therefore we will revert back to that form of life. Unless and until our hearts are changed. So God is saying, you have to change your heart. However, a heart change is far beyond our limitations. It's like expecting a leopard to remove its spots. It's expecting a tiger to wipe away its stripes. It cannot happen. So there's another layer to what the prophets are telling us. And so we want to move now to Ezekiel. Now, I will sound like a broken record, and that's okay. Because the Bible repeats itself on purpose, so we'll just take liberty to do the same thing. Ezekiel chapter 11. Verse 17. There is um, two words that will be repeated, and we'll read them several times, dozens of times, in fact. Um, I'll point them out. Look at verse 17. Therefore, say, Thus says the Lord God, I will. 
gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God." But as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. You see the same themes we've been talking about here? What is holiness? It's putting away the things of this world. That's exactly what he says is going to happen when he draws them together. And it's a connection to his word. And what's he going to do with his people? He's going to cause them to walk in obedience to his commands. How does he do that? Because he is going to take out the heart of stone and he is going to put in a heart of flesh. He's going to give them his spirit. Chapter 34. Broken record coming at you. By the way, every time you, you see those words, I will... God declaring, I will do something. Those are promises. You remember how last week we talked about God making a covenant with, um, with Abraham? And that, that in spite of their history, God goes back to his character and his promise? He's not changed. Look at this. Look at chapter 34, beginning in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep and have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the Uh, ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them with good pasture. Verse 15, I myself will be their shepherd, the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the straight and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy and I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge. Verse 20, therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I, I myself will judge. Verse 22, I will rescue um, my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd. My, well, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. wait. I thought he just said he was going to be their shepherd. Well, then now he's saying he's going to set up a shepherd. Old Testament, so triune. (laughs) Silly, isn't it? I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. 
And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase and they shall be secure in their land and they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke. Verse 29, and I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no longer be consumed with hunger and on and on and on. Do you see this? It's all about God. It's all about God. It's all about his promises. This is not about us. Chapter 36. Traded through this one before. Verse 23. Ezekiel 36, 23. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nation will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you hold on all these I wills and we come back to now. What about us? This is what God is is doing. This is what God has done. This is what God will do for those whose hearts have not been changed. God makes these promises. And what about us? Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you all. Hold on. We need, Lord, a man-centered gospel, don't we? Don't we need a message that's all about us? No, because it's not about us. The gospel is about God. So then why is he acting? Why is he going to all these lengths to change people? It's simple. Back in verse 23, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. The reason why God does this is because he cares about his reputation in this world. So he takes people who are in complete rebellion against him and he puts his spirit in them and he gives them a love for his word and a desire to be detached from the things of this world. And, and then he says, look at how good my grace is. Chapter 37, verse 21. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and I and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land 
on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all, and they shall be no longer two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. One head, one shepherd, one king, God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ. In the end of verse 25, David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. It's not a temporal kingdom. When we get to 1 Peter and we get to um, Ephesians chapter 2, it's going to be neat to see how Paul takes this concept and says, I'm going to take two really opposing groups. I'm going to take these these physical descendants of Abraham and all of their pride, and I'm going to take all these Gentiles who don't know God, and I'm going to make them one nation. I'm going to make them one people. Chapter 38. We're almost done. Almost done. Verse 23. Very last verse of chapter 38. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Chapter 39, the next page, verse 7. And my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. So now, I mean, you see, of course, we were in Jonah, and there's, there's... Um, God has a heartbeat for missions all the way back in the Old Testament. God, and, and so the drive of missions is the holiness of God. Because that's what God wants to vindicate. That's what, what, that's what God wants the nations to see of himself, that he is a holy God. So he's going to draw, not only draw the nations, but he's going to send people to the nations. You see why the Old Testament's the bedrock for what we do in the New Testament? As God never, ever stops caring about the sacredness of his name. And this deep need for his people to be holy. Application. First thought. The church, by God's design, cannot be a group of arrogant people. The Israelites assumed they were right with God because they were Israelites, because they maintained some level of religion. Are we any different today? Look at how much we assume about our own goodness. How much we assume about our own standing with God. Let's not be shocked by the judgment day. Let's not believe lies and deceit. Cheer up. What's that? You're worse than you think you are. And God's grace is... (laughs) I love it. Secondly, the church by God's design, cannot be defined by a physical building or an operating budget or a plethora of programs. 
Those things are deadly substitutes for the true calling of God on our lives as his people. The moment we begin believing God needs us to have these things in order for us to qualify or operate as his people means we've taken a step on a slippery slope. Just that phrase alone, God needs. Isn't that creepy that we would ever let words like that slip from our mouth? What God desires for his people is a heart-level obedience and not a surface-level duty. Be careful that you not operate under your own strength because only God can doctor the heart. Here's, here's, what I'm, here's where, I'm, where I'm aiming. We can either approach this as, well... This is just what I do. This is my duty. I know this is what I'm, what I'm supposed to do. Or we come before God actually thirsting to be with him. Actually thirsting as the deer pants for the water. So my soul pants after you. You see the difference between the motivations For somebody to say, well, I'm here because that's what I'm supposed to do. And somebody who says, man, I just hunger after God. You can't hunger after God if God doesn't change your heart. And that's only possible. It's only possible through Christ. So the question is. Is he our head? Let me be more specific. Is he your head? Is he your Messiah? Is he your king? Is he your shepherd? If not, repent today and follow him. Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us. And in your goodness, you remember mercy and kindness. Because if we got what we deserved, none of us would be here now. May we never take for granted that we breathe your love every day. Lord, if there are hearts in this room that are calloused towards you, that today you would break them and that you would do what only you can do. That you would take out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. That you would clean us up from all of our idolatries and all of our uncleannesses and the ways that we're like this world and you would cause us to walk in obedience to your commands, a thing that we didn't care about before, but if you're in us, it's something that we care about drastically because we want to please you. And that our drive is not duty, it's love. Love because of what you have done. Love because you've chosen. Love because you've rescued. Love, Lord, because because you demand 
So may we gladly own you as our king today. In Jesus' name, amen.